Architecture allows us to experience the slow healing flow of time. Business of Architecture, episode 205. Hello, I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the podcast for architects, where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. I'd like to invite you to discover how to double your architecture firm income and create your dream practice of freedom and impact by downloading my free four-part architecture firm profit map. As a podcast listener, you can get instant access by going to freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It helps you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. So whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. Today is the second half of my interview with Meta Omot, co-founder of the architecture firm Omot Plum and founder of the Slow Space Movement. Meta is a rising star in architecture, and you'll definitely be hearing more about what she's up to. In today's episode, you'll discover what the Slow Space Movement is and how it represents the next evolution of design thinking and ethical architecture. You're going to be blown away by this interview. You'll also discover what Einstein's theory of relativity has to do with the Greek concept of time and how this relates to creating great livable architecture. The critical element missing from the Western world's view of space and time. You'll discover how slow, what slow space is and how it can make the world a more livable place and how you can get involved and join this new rise in consciousness through the slow space movement. So with that, here's today's show. So Meta, tell me, what is the slow space movement? Okay, so um, the slow space movement is a new direction for architecture, for more ethical architecture and uh, construction. And to explain the slow space movement, first I have to explain slow space, which is a kind of theoretical project. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history. I'm going to tell you the story about uh, what slow space means. Uh, and p- the beginning of the story, you know, okay? So I'm going to go back to the Industrial Revolution. I'll be quick. Um, you know, we know that society has been evolving rapidly over the last 200 years with the pace growing exponentially. Um, during the Industrial Revolution, we invented all kinds of machines to help us produce goods and um, to haul raw materials like trains and produce steel to make bigger buildings to hold bigger machines. Uh, And the mechanical technology helped people to overcome our own inherent slowness and that, and it was exhilarating. And modernism, you know, um, that came a little bit later, uh, you know, really rejected handcraft and the Bauhaus School of Architecture. They called houses machines for living um, and really encouraged the use of industrial ready-made products. Now, in the 20th century, the digital revolution um, sped that up enormously. And now we're able to move information instantaneously. So faster processing allowed for faster machines. Um, you know, in architecture, CAD, um, CAD CAM allowed us to overcome our inherent slowness in our industry. Um, And again, the speed was exhilarating. Um, So, you know, computers replaced hand drafting and just in the matter of like 30 years, um, digital models replaced physical models um, and all kinds of complex geometries and photorealistic 3D images were all suddenly possible. 
So as a result um, came a very prolific era of image making and rapid building that I'm calling the Starkitect era. Uh, whose iconic buildings are consumed worldwide by magazines and social media. <clears throat> but maybe we have topped out. Uh, you know, the flow of in information is instantaneous, so it doesn't get much faster than that. Uh, the market is glutted with products, and the CEO of IKEA, the houseware store, uh, has said, we have reached peak stuff. We don't need any more stuff. We're running out of natural resources and everybody is stressed out. Um, we invented all of these time-saving technologies, but we feel like we have less time than ever. Uh, and the scarcity that exists today, if in the Industrial Revolution, the scarcity was products, food and clothing and things like that, uh, shelter even, today the scarcity is time. Uh, ask anyone, they're gonna say, what would you want? What do you want more of? I want more time. Um, <clears throat> and it's because time is necessary for those fundamentally human aspects of life. Love, connection, meaning, inspiration, awe, wonder, creativity and art and intimacy. You can't speed those things up. Um, you, you just can't do them any faster. Um, and But Actually, not all time is the same. And the ancient Greeks, they actually had two different concepts of time. One is Kronos and the other is Kairos. And Kronos is the chronological or sequential time. Um, that's the one we think of when we think of the clock ticking. And Kairos refers to a moment of indeterminate length in which an event of significance happens. And a good analogy I was thinking about for this is um, counting down on New Year's Eve, the ball dropping in uh, Times Square. So counting down 10, 9, 8, that's Kronos time. It's specific, measurable. But when the ball gets to zero, time switches to Kairos. We cheer, we toast, we kiss one another, celebrate. No one's counting anymore. We're just living in the moment and enjoying the experience of being together. We don't know how long that moment lasts and nobody cares. And that's Kairos. Um, you know, maybe in common parlance, you might call it quality time. You know, we have quantity time and quality time. And what we need more of is quality time. <clears throat> So Kairos actually, interestingly, also has a spatial element. And so um, Aristotle, you know, for him, Kairos was both the time and the space uh, context for him to deliver the proof of his argument. Um, and so, and the ancient Incas also regarded time and space as as one concept. And then the Japanese concept of Ma, which is, you know, uh, not ancient Japanese, the current concept of Ma, also again relates time and space in, into one thing. Um, and these traditional notions um, co contrast significantly with our Western definitions, which are based on the assumption of universal time and three-dimensional Euc Euclidean geometry. Um, in this understanding, space is considered a static back backdrop for things that happen in time. But um, in the early, earliest, early 20th century, actually, Einstein proved that the ancient Greeks and the Incas and the Japanese were right. Uh, 
in 1905, Einstein's special theory of relativity, and I'm sorry, I'm getting into like, you know, physics and metaphysics and all of this, but I, I need all of this to, um, to prove this connection. Um, so the special theory of relativity showed how measurements of space and time varied for observers in different frames. Um, so this replaced the previous concept of absolute universal time with a notion of time being um, dependent on a reference frame. Time is the fourth dimension of space. Um, and the continuum of time and space is known as space time. Um, that's a technical term. <clears throat> and in modern physics, um, things that happen in space time are called events. And that makes sense to me because if I'm planning an event, I need a space <laughs> and I need a time for it. Okay, you know, that kind of makes sense. Um, but this, uh, this um, discovery was so revolutionary that it has still not percolated down into architecture. Architecture has relied on Euclidean geometry and Cartesian coordinates um, since, you know, since its first written history. And it makes sense because those, that kind of geometry provides a very straightforward and static means of understanding space. It's measurable, finite. Einstein's theory of relativity is anything but. Everything's relative, mutable, experiential very hard to quantify, you know, much less design around. Um, some people have tried. Um, so Siegfried Gideon uh, wrote a book in 1941 called Space, Time, and Architecture. He introduced this notion into architecture, but no one picked it up. It was sort of like just fell flat. Um, kinetic architecture tries to tries to incorporate this notion of time. Um, but in a very literal way. And, you know, some people would argue that the work of Zaha Hadid or Frank Gehry um, employs some of the, you know, some of the new geometry and it's sort of like frozen, you know, the sort of frozen geometry, but they're actually physically and experientially quite static, uh, in my opinion. Um, but phenomenologists uh, like architect and philosopher Juhani Palasma they do understand the relationship between time and space and how they can fuse together to create powerful architectural experiences. Uh, phenomenology in architecture is the study of um, the experience of built space in contrast to the Cartesian method of analyzing the world as objects and sets of objects acting and reacting to one another like in Starchitecture. So, in Palasma writes in his book, The Eyes of the Skin, I'm going to read this quote, if that's okay, um, because he just sums the whole thing up. The incredible, okay, quote, the incredible acceleration of speed during the last century has collapsed time into the flat screen of the present, upon which the simultaneity of the world is projected. As time loses its duration, its echo in the primordial past man loses his sense of self as a historical being. Architecture allows us to experience the slow healing flow of time. The time of architecture is a detained time. In the greatest of buildings, time stands firmly still. Matter, space, and time fuse into one singular elemental experience, the sense of being. Okay, so <clears throat> actually, 
nature is the original slow space that nature actually creates the ideal conditions for slowing down, reflecting, being present and engaging our senses. And that's why so many people feel rejuvenated when they go out into nature. Um, But great examples also do exist in the built environment. One example that I think of is um, Grand Central Station in New York. Although it's built for busy commuters, when you enter the Grand Hall, have you ever been there? When you enter the Grand Hall, you can't help but slow down. And maybe that was the point of it. Um, And if it's your first time visiting, I guarantee you're stopped in your tracks. And the scale, proportion, light are all comforting and awe-inspiring. And in fact, you'll often see people just sitting in the middle of the hall on the floor uh, just to experience the space. So we imagine the term slow space to describe a carefully crafted physical space that creates the right atmosphere and conditions for slowing time and fostering deep meaningful experiences. So slow space can foster Kairos quality time and provide the time and space for refuge in our busy lives. The clock may or may not be slower. I don't know about that, but our experience of the place will be as if it had. Um, And again, another, another quote from Palasma, in memorable experiences of architecture, Space, matter, and time fuse into one singular dimension, into the basic substance of being that penetrates our consciousness. We identify ourselves with this space, this place, this moment, and these dimensions become ingredients of our very existence. Architecture is the art of reconciliation between ourselves and the world, and this mediation takes place through the senses. So what I'm arguing is that, um, well, I think that actually architects used to know how to design slow space, whether they called it that or not, they probably didn't, uh, and a few still do. And builders used to be able to know how to build slow space, uh, and a few still can. Our favorite architects um, from the past designed slow space, like Frank Lloyd Wright or Alvar Alto. And today, the architects um, that are designing slow space, in our opinion, is Peter Zimthor, Glenn Merkitt, and a few others. Um, but most of what we have around us is junk space. Um, and junk space is uh, a term borrowed from Rem Kulas, actually. Um, and the way I define it is bad buildings that are ugly, poorly designed, and unpleasant to be in. They're composed of cheap, toxic materials. They make people sick, the planet sick, and they're built by unskilled workers that are exploited, enslaved, and endangered on the job. Um, and in my opinion, much of architecture is also junk space because it is image-driven, trendy, and poorly built. So slow space is an ideal that we strive for in our work. Um, and at Elmont Plum Architects, we have our own slow principles, um, and they are uh, space, not form, less but better, offer empathy and holistic thinking. Space, not form, means um, focusing on the design of the experience of the space, not the formal uh, object buildings to be admired from the distance. Less but better means focusing on quality over quantity. 
offer empathy means human-centered design and fair labor practices, and holistic thinking means focusing on the whole and its impact of people and the planet. Uh, slow space and these slow principles are something we would like to see much more of in the world, um, and we would like to inspire others to pursue them in their own ways, and they might have their own um, definitions of what makes a slow space. Uh, we can only do so much in our small practice, but I know there are many architects out there that believe in these core values as well and are working toward it, toward a more positive built environment. And that's why we started the slow space movement. Like slow food, it's like slow food for the built environment. Um, <clears throat> the slow space movement hopes to create positive change um, in design and construction. Now, we spend 90% of our lives indoors, so the impact our field can have on people's lives is n- enormous. We know this. That's why we're, that's why we're architects, um, most of us. Um, <clears throat> and the slow space movement has three broad pillars that define it good, clean, and fair. For a building to be good, it must be beautiful, human-centered, and last 100 years, um, or last a long time, by our definition, 100 years. For it to be clean, it must be healthy for the people and the planet. And to be fair, its supply chain must be fair trade, and workers must have fair labor. Um, All these pillars are severely lacking right now in architecture, um, design and construction, and there's enormous opportunities for improvement. Any effort to move the needle on just one of these areas will have a profoundly positive impact on people's lives. You don't have to be designing hospitals in Africa to have an ethical practice. We all know how much work our work impacts people's lives, but our reach is getting smaller and smaller and market pressures are making it almost impossible to design and build high quality buildings. Um, You know, the media is not helping by peddling all these sexy images. There's actually a hashtag called hashtag architecture porn, um, making architecture a commodity. um, And a whole generation of young architects have no idea about scale and proportion. But there is power in numbers, and it's never been easier to build a community, a virtual community, and right now that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to initiate the conversation, band some people together, and educate the public, and eventually move the needle a little bit. Um, Now, this is a long-term project for sure. Um, Slow Food has been very successful in changing minds and attitudes about food, the fact that Whole Foods... Uh, craft beer and artisanal cheeses, you know, are everywhere is a testament to that movement. But they started 30 years ago in 1986. So we have no delusions about how long this is going to take. But architecture is slow. So maybe a slow movement is fitting. Um, And we have a lot of minds to change. But if we don't start pushing in the right direction, we're we're going to end up with nothing. Um, so the pressures are just going down on us. So it's time for us to start pushing back. What would you feel would be some practical considerations that, uh, what would this look like if someone were to implement some of these things? Where could someone start? Um, I think, you know, we need to start looking at, uh, we need to start looking at our own work and our own production of that work. So, you know, um, Thinking about designing the spaces for people 
um, is number one, absolutely critical. And it's not just about what it looks like, but it's about what it feels like to be in it. Um, And so in the last few decades, it's really been about creating these um, object buildings that are meant to be kind of viewed from afar or or um, the money shot, you know, the sexy image. Um, and it, and that's at a distance. But, you know, um, so much of the impact is about how people feel in the space and put yourself in the space first and design around that. So that's, that's one thing. Um, then another thing is, um, you know, let's just take, let's just take not even a hard look. Let's just think about the, how many chemicals, chemical products go into building a building these days. Um, You know, everyone's obsessed with energy efficiency, but some of those technologies that we're using to create energy efficiency might be the next asbestos. You know, we don't know. Uh, we We don't know because we don't have the hindsight yet. But spray foam insulation gets installed by guys in hazmat suits. You know, you don't need a chemistry degree to realize that that's a little off, you know, and there might be something a little bit toxic about that. Um, And so, yeah, it's great that you're getting the R value, um, but, you know, in about five to 10% of the cases, um, it doesn't cure properly and that building is totaled. There is no way to, there's no way to get that back. Uh, Also, the majority of buildings are designed to last about 30 or 40 years. And that's not long enough. Um, You know, if, if a building is getting torn down, think about the waste of time, money, and natural resources that went into building that building for it to only last 30 or 40 years, that is disposable architecture, in my opinion. Um, You know, in Europe, uh, not everywhere, but in cities, um, you know, there are buildings that have been around for 500 years. That's not uncommon. You know, they're all made of stone. They're all made of masonry. Um, you know, the the row houses in New York City, the brownstones, beautiful buildings, um, finely made. You know, they are of a quality that is um, worth renovating and worth holding on to. But most of the, you know, condo buildings that are going up now that are, you know, wood frame construction with some hardy board, you know, siding on it are pure junk. You know, the developers don't care because they're going to sell them off. And, you know, I'm, they're not going to, they're hardly going to last, um, hardly going to last 50 years. We've done a lot of work on, um, public housing, state owned public housing. And, um, we can see when we go into a project. So, so what we do is um, we do renovation work. So like a, a big uh, development, you know, many, many units, um, you know, is having some some maintenance issues. We were a house doctor. Um, so any of the developments that were built up until like um, the early 70s, usually super solid, you know, uh, a lot of times masonry, even if it's not like really, really solid construction, good details. Anything from the mid-70s and after, pure junk. I don't know why. I mean, you know, 
who this one this one development was um, there was no sheathing on the walls. It was just studs and rigid insulation and vinyl siding. And then there was sheetrock on the interior. One development that Andrew um, did is still working on a lot of repair work on the whole um, <clears throat> flashing detail at the bottom of every single building failed. And the whole foot, the bottom foot of the entire complex had to be torn out. So, you know, just horrible. And, you know, <laughs> It's just, it's, it's very sad. I'm kind of, I get emotional. It's like, it's very sad. It's, it's too bad because buildings like this, um, you know, in general are not worth, not worth fixing. Um, and so they get torn down and think about all of those resources. So building things to last. Um, and then particularly in the private market and residential construction, um, the amount of exploited labor, even in, um, even in the United States is enormous. I mean, you know, I've heard reports that um, if if Trump truly does crack down on illegal immigrants, that um, the construction industry in Texas will be decimated because 50% of the laborers are illegal immigrants. Um, and <clears throat> that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I don't, I don't have an opinion about their immigration status, but um, they're not on the books. And when they're not on the books, um, they're not paying workers comp, they're not paying payroll taxes on them. Uh, and so, you know, the government is losing money and the, the workers aren't getting any um, insurance or protection and they're being paid far below the prevailing wage. And so it's, um, it's putting a downward pressure on the entire market and the people who are paying the price for that are actually those workers um, that are getting hurt on the job um, and have no recourse because they're not on the books. So they can't even complain about it. So they're totally exploited and uh, they can't do anything about it. Uh, and this is this is across the board um, common. This is this is our industry's dirty little secret. So right here at home, you know, we can be looking at um, we can be looking at at our own practices and practices in, in construction. And you know, if your contractor shows up with a pickup truck full of guys in the back. Um, I can guarantee you that those guys are being paid in cash under the table um, and that that is an illegal practice and that they're being exploited. So, you know, that's something right now that we could just open our eyes to. I, I've, I've, I've looked the other way in the past. Actually, I wasn't even aware enough to realize that's what was going on. But now that I see it, now that I'm aware, I see it everywhere. Um, you know, and so this is something that you know, immediately we can just start thinking about and talking about. And then when our clients say to us, oh, it's too expensive, my friend, they built the house for, you know, $135 a square foot, you know, why is this one so expensive, you know, and you say, well, we're, we're going to work with a, a good contractor that has everyone on the books and is not paying them illegally, you know, this is why it's more expensive. The other one, the prices are being artificially depressed. Oh, sorry, Enoch, I can't hear you. 
Okay. Uh, the prices of building and construction. Is that what you're referring yeah. to when you say prices yes. depressed? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, so, I mean, when you're talking about slow space, it's interesting. Um, I thought of the Kimball Art Museum. Oh, you know, yeah. The building that you think is kind of fits at least the spatial considerations? Louis Kahn? Yeah. yeah. I have, like, every one of his buildings. Yeah. You know, I mean, he didn't build that many, but the ones he built were uh, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been to the Kimball um, myself, but I've been to the Exeter Library and to um, the Salk um, Institute. Slow space to a T. Exactly. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Meta, this is exciting. I mean, love what you're doing. It sounds like you're opening up a new consciousness here in what can be in terms of design and architecture and also just humanity. So where do people go to get connected with this movement to become part of it and to begin to change that consciousness? Yeah, I mean, right now, I you know, we're starting small. It's, you know, it's just me pushing it forward, but I'm looking for um, people to join in and join the conversation. So right now, what you can do is um, I've got a Facebook page. It's Facebook forward slash slow space movement. Um, and you can like my page and, you know, follow along, get updates and stuff. I've also got a blog um, at slowspace.org. And um, there, I'm I'm, talk, I'm talking about a lot of these issues. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to explore. As I, you know, I went I went from you know um, history to philosophy to uh, metaphysics to social justice. So there's a whole uh, range of things that I'm really excited to explore on this blog. So you know, follow along, comment, um, sign up for my newsletter, and you know, we're gonna try to start this ball rolling and we hope to get some momentum and get the ball getting bigger and bigger and um, you know see if we can get uh, raise the consciousness um, you know, I know that every architect that I've talked to like this totally resonates with them I think we all want to do the right thing um, you know and but we just you know we don't really know how but this is a this is a model um, that allows you you know sole practitioner to do the right thing in your little practice you don't have to be doing humanitarian work in Haiti you know to be making a difference you could just make sure that your um, that your contractor is not exploiting you know uh, the guys on the job and you'll be making a difference. You could just design a space that makes your client feel wonderful and you'll be making a difference. I mean, you know that already, um, but the other stuff is not so obvious. Um, well, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about in our first episode, which was the idea of differentiation. It seems like if someone's practicing this, if they can come to their client and say, hey, by the way, do you know that we're practitioners of slow space and uh, the themes behind that movement? What a great way just to open up that conversation with the client about what makes your architecture different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually think that um, this, you know, this next generation of clients, which is the millennials, this is what they care about. Um, you know, they don't care about stuff and they, they're not going to care about big houses and McMansions and stuff. They care about, um, they care about experiences and they care about doing the right thing. And this is about those two things, experiences and doing the right thing. And, you know, and maybe that's an idea. Maybe we'll have like some sort of certification or affiliate program. So you can sign on and you can be um, slow space, a slow space affiliate. And, um, you know, it's not saying that we're hitting every one of these marks, but we're trying 
as best we can to, you know, do well in these areas. So we're trying to move it forward. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that could be something that could be a fantastic way to, you know, to enter into the conversation with clients and also to get other people on board and talking about it. And what we need right now is a community. We need to all kind of come together because we can't, we can't do it alone. Um, and so if we can come together and start talking about it on mass, um, that I think we could really make a difference. That's awesome. Well, I want to put a special invite out there to our listeners. If this has resonated with you, if you think that this is a great idea or a good idea, go over to the slow space movement page on Facebook. And why don't you, uh, you know, Meta and I, we both talked about different buildings that we kind of admire. Why don't you put any buildings that you thought of during this conversation that you think kind of represents what uh, Meta Omat is talking about here? And maybe that'll kind of open up the conversation. Oh, I love that idea because at some point in the future, I would love to host events or have people like all around the country host events that are just space appreciation events, you know, where people just go kind of like a taste testing, but it's a space testing um, <laughs> where people just go and experience those spaces. So, yeah, if we can come up with a list, that would be fantastic. All right. So go check it out. Facebook.com forward slash slow space movement or slow space.org, right? Yep, those are the two places. Great. All right, Meta Omat, thank you for joining me and our, our listeners here on the business of architecture. Thanks, Enoch. Always a pleasure. All right, bye bye. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening today. If you're looking for more time, freedom, impact, and income as an architect, get instant access to my free four part architect profit map by visiting freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It helps you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. So whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. The views expressed on the show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.